Hello, Mama. Welcome to Reaching Abundance. I'm your host and financial coach, Virginia. This is part two of cultivating a growth mindset. As I shared in last episode, we've been seeing some interesting behaviors and beliefs come to surface in our son. So I did what I do best, dive into research, read books, and attempt to pull out the strategy we can implement to rectify the situation. This became a mountainous project, and I discovered quickly that I couldn't possibly communicate everything to you in just one episode. Even with two, I still think we're skimming the surface of child psychology and the impact our actions, words, and beliefs have on our children. But like I mentioned in last episode, living an abundant life is so multifaceted. It's like a massive puzzle with a thousand pieces And as moms, our focus has to be able to shift from one section to another instead of trying to handle all the puzzle pieces at once. So today, we're focusing on the parenting piece, the way we parent in intense situations, the way we approach potentially bad circumstances or events, and the way we express ourselves and our beliefs teaches our children how they should act, believe, or react to a scary event or bad news. Now, I want to be clear. Pursuing and nurturing a growth mindset doesn't mean you're never sad, disappointed, or even depressed. It means that you feel these things too, but are able to recover because of the practices we're going to talk through today. A large piece of this I already alluded to is modeling positive self-talk. And I know we're talking about parenting here, but this applies in every aspect of life, including money. So I want you to download the quick little one-page PDF I created that helps you turn negative phrases you probably say about money And I say probably because they're really common. And it helps you turn them into positive sayings and phrases about money. And studies show that your brain actually can't tell the difference between an actual situation where you might be physically finding or earning money versus the belief that money is destined for your pocket. So... It's really important to rehearse these phrases until you believe them wholeheartedly. Download your money mindset mantras at reachingabundance.com. And like I mentioned last time, you can tweak these phrases into something positive toward parenting, health, your relationships, your career, wherever your focus is right now. Welcome to the Reaching Abundance podcast, where your host, Virginia Elder, shares helpful guidance for moms around positive mindset, creating simplicity, practicing true self-care, and most of all, money management. Her financial journey toward a better life blossomed into an insatiable desire for overall happiness and abundance. 
Hang out with her right here each week while she ditches the taboos around women and money, shares resources, educates, and financially empowers all the mamas. Hey there, mama. Thank you again for joining me in this part two of Cultivating a Growth Mindset. Last episode, I went through three key components or pillars of beliefs we need to have and teach to our children, plus the do's and don'ts of approaching a child with a naturally negative mindset. As usual, it's most important that we lean on these lessons the most when tensions are high. Those three components and the do's and don'ts from last episode will help support the 10 practices we'll be talking about in this episode. Let's be honest, parenting is complicated. You and I are very different people. We run our households differently, and our kids have very different personalities. So I want to remind you to take what you need from these episodes the things you think you want to work on or the actions you think are worth trying, and do those first. Don't try to implement everything at once. That's also why I broke this up into two episodes, so you can work on the beliefs and approach first and then learn the 10 suggested tools and tactics. As I go through these 10 tactics today, I want to preface this with, yes, I want you to teach these to your kids, but I'm not talking about the typical student-teacher relationship. When I say teach these to your kids, what I really mean is implement, practice, discuss, and create these activities as something both you and your child can participate in. Here's why. The first of the 10 tools or techniques is, surprise, surprise, to model the three key components, the behaviors, and the other nine tactics you're about to hear. It's very hard to believe or imagine something if you've never seen it before or never been exposed to that type of behavior before. Like if you had never seen Oprah on TV or watched one of her episodes or heard her speak, you would not believe that there was someone so gracious, so compassionate, so amazing as Oprah. Same thing with any big speaker before. Like if you had been to some kind of like Tony Robbins seminar before and you had never heard of this person it would be very hard for you to believe the level of impact he could have on someone who did attend something like that. So we as mothers have to intentionally embrace emotions, our kids and our own, and show them what it looks like to experience fear, disappointment, struggle, sadness, grief, anxiety, And what it looks like to see silver linings, to see the bright side, and what it looks like to actually flip the mood from negative to motivated, determined, thankful, or action-oriented. So the first thing to remember before you teach any of the rest of these 10 things is that the number one thing for us mamas to do is to model 
these behaviors. The second of the 10 tools or techniques that I want to teach you today is something you've probably heard of before that may have been recommended for you. It's affirmations and visualization. Some people think this is woo-woo, but I don't care what religion you are or background you come from. The words you believe, think, and speak are powerful. This goes for us and our children. Have you ever heard your kids say a phrase that sounded kind of familiar and realized that they just totally repeated something that you always say? Yeah, they're seriously sponges. So when you affirm things for yourself like, I am strong, I am worthy, that's really great. But I like to go further too. Affirmations like, I love a tough challenge. I have the power to find solutions to any problem I encounter. And I'm appreciative of the learning opportunities in my life. These phrases address that you might be facing an issue, but that you can figure it out. So when you repeat these to yourself, modeling the behavior and using this as a tool, when you're working through an issue with your child, This language is familiar. Same thing with visualization. When you're faced with a challenge and you visualize yourself, not just on the other side of it, but if you back up a little and envision yourself learning and working through it and building whatever you need to build or having the meetings or crafting the thing, your awareness adjusts and you'll be able to see the opportunity when it presents itself. Or you'll have imagined yourself doing the thing so the physical action won't seem so foreign. Your kid can't see you imagining these things, right? But if you talk about what you're visualizing and how you're working through the project or the challenge in your mind, you can start the conversation by saying, hey, you know that problem I've been having? Well, I had a dream last night about how to solve it, and I'm going to try it today. Sometimes I seriously dream solutions to things. Or sometimes it was a purposeful visualization. So in that case, you can tell your kiddo, you know, I've been thinking about X problem lately. And I was really imagining what I would have to do or how I could solve it. And I feel a lot better now. When you talk about your beliefs, which are affirmations, or your thought processes, which are visualizations, Your child will learn that these are viable options and practices, and they will begin to adopt them. And, of course, when you have the opportunity, talk to them and walk them through some affirmations having to do with the specific issue they are facing. Talk them through visualizing the specific actions they will take or the skills they will use to face that issue. Whether it's an issue with a friend, academics, sports, or with following the rules, help them form words to describe themselves in a positive way. I am a generous friend and it makes me feel good to share and to be shared with. I am a great soccer player who works hard and loves to demonstrate my skills on the field. I am a hard worker in the classroom, and I enjoy learning something new every day. And as you're going through the scenario they are facing, help them envision 
sharing with the friends, doing those soccer skills under pressure, or focusing on their worksheet in class. A big part of this is about helping them create awareness of themselves and their own abilities. They are already awesome, duh. You're their mom and you see it, but they don't see it. They don't know these skills already exist inside. Or maybe they just need to be reminded. The third thing is practicing gratitude. We're inundated with gratitude journals, practices, and even in religion, when you say your prayers, you're taught to thank God for all the good things in your life. Thankfulness is taught everywhere, and it's proven that when a person is more thankful, they seem to be happier. So if you're a gratitude journal person, show your kiddo your journal. Tell them what you're thankful for. Talk to them about your practice and what you notice about yourself when you feel grateful. Then take it a step further and help them implement a gratitude practice in their life. Maybe they have a little journal you write in for them just before bed, and they share three things that they're thankful for every night. Maybe you have this as a morning routine at the breakfast table. You can convert the practice into whatever works for your family, but however you do it, notice and talk about how one feels when they're thankful. You seem to notice the positives more. And the negatives about the day seem a little bit smaller. And as time goes on and the practice matures, you can even help them look at the things they didn't like about their day and find the things they're thankful for within that situation. Like lessons learned or truth revealed or what to watch out for next time. Because a big part of the growth mindset is learning from every experience and taking those lessons forward. Another of the 10 tools or exercises that is beneficial to us moms for ourselves and that would be excellent to be teaching our children is breathing exercises. It doesn't have to be complicated, okay? All you have to do is when you feel frustrated, tense, irritated, or annoyed, take three deep, long, full breaths. See if you can count to five during the whole inhale and again throughout the exhale three times. Studies show that as we're going through the mundane tasks of our day, and especially when we're facing decisions, feeling emotional, or sitting, we don't breathe enough. We generally breathe very shallow breaths and rarely do large, lung-filling, long-drawn-out breaths. So those are what we need to integrate. The practice of breathing in this full yet calculated and slow manner is relaxing and makes us pause for a minute. But the act also fills our bodies, our muscles, and yes, your brain with the oxygen it needs to think. When you take deep breaths, you're likely to relax tension and focus away from the problem for just 20 or 30 seconds while you're breathing so that when you return to address the problem, those few seconds refreshed you and you're able to handle whatever it is. Now, you don't have to explain all of this to the kiddo, okay? 
especially if they're very young. But you can teach even a very young child to do these deep breaths when they feel upset or getting frustrated. This is also a great exercise to do together at bedtime or just before a nap. Again, because that flow of oxygen releases the body and calms the mind. When your child sees you practicing deep breaths and these other conscious calming techniques and you talk openly about it with them, and of course this reverts back to the number one thing, modeling, right? They don't know not to copy or mimic your behavior. When you have erratic behavior, they are going to have erratic behavior. Whatever they see in you determines how they are going to act. So really consider how you can implement some of these tools and techniques. Number five is to alter the environment. This is where you physically change the child's surroundings to reset the situation on purpose. Think about a really busy household, for example. Maybe there's lots of kids, mom and dad, maybe a multi-generational thing going on. So you have aunts and uncles or grandparents, just a lot of people. And if that doesn't apply to you, just think back to pre-COVID when we could have big birthday bashes and invite everyone and their dog. Those situations can be lots of fun, but they can also be very overwhelming. And simple situations like a busy store or a crowded line or a loud room with people talking and the TV on, any of these can kick a child's senses into overdrive. This was something I noticed right away and had to implement early with my son. A physical change of environment was required so that he could reset, breathe, and decide when he was ready to go back to the party. The easiest way to do this, and what we've done for years now, is just to step outside. When he was very young, I would try my best just to watch him. Everybody has behavioral cues where you can tell they're getting irritable or overwhelmed. I would try, I would try, y'all. I would try so hard to time things right before he kind of lost his mind And sometimes I just didn't catch it fast enough, and he was already throwing a fit or crying or just being really agitated, and I would just scoop him up, and we'd step outside. I'm not in that moment telling him to calm down or to stop crying, because that's part of the don'ts, right? So maybe instead I'm telling him just to breathe with me, or look at the trees, look at the wind blowing the leaves, or... Maybe I'm just asking him, hey, doesn't the fresh air feel good out here? It is a distraction technique, but it's also just a way to get his mind off of whatever it was that was irritating or agitating and giving him the mental space to be able to breathe and calm down. I'm just completely changing his focus from the craziness, right? We've stepped outside, so we're removing ourselves from the situation And we're just taking a few minutes to reset. Usually he's a completely new person, and I am too, (laughs) when we decide we are ready to head back inside and face the noise again. This practice can be converted, and you can use the porch, the car, some headphones with soft music, or even your room as your child's safe space. 
And I want to clarify, this isn't to be used as punishment. This isn't like a go outside or go to your room kind of a thing. When I was a kid, go to your room was like a death sentence. That's not what we're doing here. We're communicating that it's okay to take a break from any situation. You can go to a place that makes you feel more comfortable and come back when you're ready. We aren't slamming doors and this isn't in anger. It's a reset that we can implement and that we can teach our children to implement in any situation. And for me, the kids know now. If I just say, just a minute, mommy needs to step outside for some fresh air and I'll be right back. It's like, okay, cool, give mom a minute. And they wait because they do the same thing and I respect their space too. The sixth one is more of a concept you can teach and remind them about. Many of us adults, especially in the entrepreneur world, have heard of the classic lizard brain, which refers to the prehistoric programming of our mentality to play it safe and stay small so you don't get hurt. The whole don't share your audacious ideas because you'll be laughed at concept. Well, I want to suggest you teach your kids about a monkey brain. Imagine a monkey. They swing from tree to tree, switching directions constantly, eating half a banana and then dropping it for the next best option, having really just no focus, no goals, just being goofy throughout their day. You can highlight whatever erratic behavior you want to here. So your child has a portion of their brain that thrives on distraction. Flashy lights, YouTube, and anything that moves gets their attention, right? Well, teach them about that portion of their thoughts and that those are great sometimes, but sometimes we have to put that monkey in its place and we need to focus. This is a useful designation and separation because... The monkey part of the brain is also the piece that spirals out of control with excuses, reasons their friends don't like them, and exaggerated consequences of some situation, feelings of fault and guilt and all those imagined negative inner thoughts that we create. For my son, it might look like in a soccer game, a peer ran into him and took the ball. So instead of it just being an accident or someone that saw an opportunity to snag the ball, it becomes, that guy doesn't like me, and since he doesn't like me and they scored now, the whole team is mad at me, and now the coach is mad at me, and I'm terrible, and none of my skills work, and I'm wasting everyone's time, and everyone hates me. When, in reality, none of the bystanders or coaches or soccer players felt that way at all. But he just worked himself up into a hyperventilating, sobbing tizzy that made it impossible for him to actually play the game for the entire next quarter. He let his monkey brain take over, and he took himself out of the game. He wasn't taken out because of the mistake. He was benched because he was imploding emotionally and wasn't able to assist on the next three plays. So he got swapped out. The coach wasn't mad. We weren't mad. It's all completely in his head. 
So maybe your kiddo doesn't play soccer or he doesn't have this particular issue in sports, but maybe they have a hard time focusing. Let me just tell you, okay, the most non-ADD kids struggle to focus at times. You can use this monkey brain lesson to teach them and talk to them like, turn the monkey brain off and focus on what you're supposed to be doing. And I ask my kids quite often, is the monkey in charge right now or are you? And when I remind them of this, they're like, oh yeah, no, I'm in charge. I'm going to focus on my stuff. And they immediately go get their shoes or whatever it was they were supposed to be doing. It really helps. And the other thing is that I just simply ask them, are you distracted right now or are you doing what I asked you? Usually they will admit that they are distracted and we have an open conversation situation going here where they can say, what was it that you told me to do again? And most of the times I will gladly remind them. Hey mama, at this point, I think we're on the same page. We both want our kids to grow up way more financially savvy than we did. Let's be real, teaching kids about money using cash is necessary, but to prevent them from suffering the same money issues we have, they need practice using apps and plastic, which is where FamZoo comes in. For a few months now, my family's been using FamZoo, an app connected with prepaid cards, one for each family member, where we have all the parental control to pay allowance, gift cash, split earnings between spending and savings, monitor balances and transactions, track savings goals, teach budgeting, and so much more. The kids think it's so cool to look at their own balances through the app and use their own card when making purchases. The card's funds are FDIC insured and the cardholders are protected by MasterCard's zero liability policy against unauthorized purchases. Check out all the ways FamZoo can help boost financial literacy for your little ones by clicking the affiliate link at reachingabundance.com. Another tactic or thought pattern to teach and to use yourself, of course, because you're practicing and you're modeling or trying to model all of these things too, right? This is the superstar technique. This might sound familiar because in Christianity a while back, it became popular to think, what would Jesus do? There were even like, what would Jesus do bracelets and WWJD like everywhere. And that's meant as like a guiding compass to help people make more morale choices. But the same concept is useful when teaching children resilience and to battle that little negative voice inside because most kids have a sports figure, a superhero, an actor, or someone they look up to and idolize. Well, that person or superhero didn't have a life of ease. Everyone has faced challenges, and some of the most amazing people and well-known figures have really come from some rough situations. I encourage you to help your child learn about the challenges or rough patches their superstar experienced in life, where that person came from, what they struggled with, and their process of overcoming the issue. Then, moving forward, you can teach your child to use that and think, what would so-and-so do? I'll ask my son when it comes to soccer, 
What would Messi or Ronaldo do in a soccer game if they tripped or got knocked down? It's easy for him to say, well, they'd get back up and they would get the ball back. And immediately, I'm telling you, it's like a light illuminating his eyes changes. And he immediately knows what he has to do. Same thing when it comes to a school paper or struggles with a new really big word he's trying to read or spell. We talk about his favorite authors or smart characters in books he's read, and we ask, what would that person do? Would they give up on the worksheet because they can't? And then the other thing is you can combine breathing exercises or taking a step outside with the thought of what would they do. He really does well when I'm able to get him to take a step back and look at the big picture. The absolutely most helpful of these 10 techniques to cultivating a growth mindset in kids is this one. Number eight, and I call this the magic three. This tool has only gained momentum for us within the past few years based on brain development and his ability to be creative on his own because he's eight now. And based on child brain development and the cognitive connections it takes to understand options and causes and effects, it doesn't really start to work for a kiddo until about seven years old. Although I will say you can begin to coach your child on this much earlier, it will be you coming up with the magic three instead of them. Okay, so what's the magic three, you ask? You can use it in two ways. Either when presented with a challenge, you work to come up with three potential solutions, or when something crappy does happen, you work to come up with three silver linings. We've used it both ways. Odds are when something happens and you train your brain to focus on creating potential solutions instead of focusing on the problem, you're going to recover from the drama faster. And odds are that one of your three imagined and created solutions are going to work. It's human nature to experience an issue and then dwell on it. All this stuff we're talking about is completely normal for a kid. Something happens at recess, and then you're suddenly off the deep end that all the friends hate you, you'll never be invited to a birthday party again, no one wants to be your friend, and they're going to laugh at you when you raise your hand in class, and you're going to have no friends for the rest of your life. That's how all of our brains work, right? We make one mistake, and it builds and builds and builds, and we extrapolate it to mean everything throughout life. I still battle thoughts like that although on a much mature level. (laughs) But before the kiddo gets all wired up extrapolating these extreme imagined results, we bring it back home. What's the specific problem or issue? Like, Like what exactly happened? And then once we get it nailed down to just that one problem, that one action that happened, not any of the extrapolated potential problems, okay? Then we think about it. All right, what is one potential possible action you can take? He comes up with an answer and we talk through it to see if that will work. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And then I go, okay, 
what's another possible action you can take? It has to be something that he can do, something that your child can do that they can exhibit control over the situation. Sometimes this is getting back on the soccer field. Sometimes that's apologizing to the friend where you hurt their feelings. Sometimes it's asking the teacher for help. And we talk through that one. And then we even stretch our brains to come up with a third potential solution to the issue. This exercise, when practiced time and time again for years and years and years, it creates a solution-oriented mind. It challenges them to come up with more than just one or two options, and sometimes that third potential solution is really tough to come up with. And in my experience, it stops the crying, it stops the emotional spiral that happens, and it prevents them from just reliving the event and the hurt that they experienced over and over again. We start to focus on the solutions and When I am able to see his mind shift towards that solutions-focused mindset, I mean, his whole face changes. It's, It's a really beautiful thing. The ninth option works best for a child you suspect over-anticipates things. Maybe they seem really excited leading up to an event, but when it's actually about to happen, they sort of freak out and it's a little too overwhelming. Or maybe they thought they were excited, but then something didn't go as planned, and now they're crying. I personally have experience with this. This is a weird level of anticipation or expectation that we sometimes attach to things, whether it be a big event like a party or a speech or a presentation, or it could be just something as simple as bedtime. No matter what it is, I'm sure you can think of a situation where you had an expectation of how things were going to go, and when they didn't go that way, you were frustrated. So this ninth tool is just to remember that anxiety is a good thing. It's a built-in tool that allowed our ancestors to make life-or-death decisions about food, energy, water, predators, and prey. So while we don't use it in the same way, anxiety isn't necessarily something to be banished or hated. It's a good thing. We just have to learn how our particular anxiety works, embrace it because it's not going anywhere, and then test and try things to help us deal. Maybe that fresh air or those deep breaths or over-preparing for the meeting so we don't get caught off guard. It could be anything. But at the base of it all, we have to love ourselves so deeply that we love our flaws too. And we have to teach that to our kids. It's our weirdness, our quirkiness, differences and uniqueness that make us beautiful. We have to learn to work with and learn all those things about ourselves and teach your kids this. Talk to them about this over and over when they bring up a quote-unquote bad quality or something they don't like about themselves. Loving yourself so much so that you would stand up for and defend that quote-unquote bad quality with all the positives it helps you do is a skill that's amazing and beautiful in itself. But the thing is, It also breeds confidence. 
And these tools, if I had them or knew about them, or if someone talked to me about them when I was a kid, man, who knows where I'd be. The 10th one is something primarily in our mama control, and it's that we can take all of the above and practice and teach all the things, but ultimately we have to foster and create opportunities for our children to learn. We have to allow them to express themselves, to follow their passions, and we need to be creative about this. And whether that looks like entering them into classes or paying for lessons or having deep conversations with them one-on-one, we need to be able to teach them these strategies and provide them opportunities where they can use these strategies. So for me... Providing the opportunity to grow for my kiddo would look like a soccer program focused on skills, game strategy, and endurance, because I know those are going to feed his confidence as a soccer player, which is what he says he wants to do. Think long-term, too, about this. I'm thinking about, like, a kid Toastmasters or something where they're taught how to speak how to present confidently, and how to project their voice and their ideas in a firm, convincing way. Wouldn't that be a great skill for a child to grow up with? How amazing could someone's career be if they are taught presentation skills and they mature in their confidence of speaking in front of a crowd? That's my weakness, I'll tell you. I'm fine on video and I'm fine behind a mic, but in person, I'm shaking in my boots. Another thing is like maybe chess lessons or learning another language. I think being multilingual is going to be a big deal in the future. So what if I could start encouraging that now? Strategy. Oh my gosh, strategy is huge. So if he can learn how to play chess, he's just learning a game, right? But behind it, he's learning tactics that can be transformed into any area of life. Very cool. So I'm well aware that this is all coming from a very privileged place. Being able to pay for lessons and to expect to be able to do all these things. I want to say, you and your kiddo can learn anything on the internet. So if you don't have the money for this, you're working on paying off the debt load, or you're budgeting like crazy, you can still provide these opportunities It may just look like you orchestrating the chess game or you outside in the front yard training your ball player. There's still opportunity for growth here, though, and you still have the power to provide that no matter what the situation is. I've personally spent, you know, two or three bucks on an app here or there to begin the process of some of these lessons, you know, download a chess game app on the iPad or whatever you have to do to begin to foster this opportunity. And then as time goes by, you can decide if you really want to pay for a class or what direction you want to take this. So let's take a step back and review because we went through a lot here, but I really needed to get you all this information. And I want to encourage you to either listen again where you can take notes Or maybe you click through the blog post and reread some of what you've heard. Or do whatever you have to do to make sure you pick the items you think will work for your family. 
or what your family needs and implement those things. These are like pillars of knowledge that we must have and work on and remind ourselves and our kids of over and over again. You're going to model these behaviors, teach and practice visualization or affirmations, deep breathing exercises, implement the possibility of changing the environment or altering the physical situation. That's where we just step outside when we're having an issue. We implement a gratitude practice. We teach them about the monkey brain. We ask what their superhero or superstar idol would do in a given situation. We use the magic three all the time. We teach that anxiety is actually a good thing and provide opportunities in which they can grow valuable skills, thus confidence. Like I already said, that's a lot. Just a bit of advice here. You don't have to do all of these things, and you especially don't have to do all of these at once. Think about the moments as you were listening, when you were nodding your head. That's the stuff you need to implement right away. That's the stuff that's going to make the greatest impact. Above all else, model a few of these things. That's why modeling was listed as the first tool or tactic of the 10. When you model these things for your kid, before you go telling them to do it, they're going to be more likely to reciprocate and to actually do this. Remember, I believe in you. I believe in your strength as a woman and your perseverance as a mother and your ultimate desire to do what is right by your child. I really, truly believe we can have it all through intention, consistency, and being present in the moment. As you can tell, I'm passionate about this parenting stuff and doing what we can to positively alter this next generation's trajectory. But that starts with us which is why I became a financial coach and started this podcast, and which is also why when you sign up with me for budget help or debt freedom coaching or because you're needing to create momentum toward financial freedom, I always include lessons for you about money for your kids. It's one thing to get the help and have this awesome budget that works and everything automated and relieve that financial stress. That's amazing, and that's what many of us are after, more freedom from financial worries. But at the same time, as we go step-by-step through refining your financial situation, we talk about your behaviors and beliefs about money. I teach you how to talk to your young children about money and how to teach them about money young so they can grow with you as your financial knowledge grows. And suddenly, your home is one of the ones who has no taboos about money and where it's in this open conversational subject so that your kids can actually make progress in their teens and 20s when they get there instead of screwing it up like you and I did. I'm here for you. Use me as a resource. I've spent years of experience and years educating myself on multiple angles of personal finance, child psychology, human behavior, brain development, emotional intelligence, and much more. 
And I'm here to guide you toward becoming debt-free and eventually financially free without feelings of desperation, panic, or loneliness like what I experienced in my journey. You don't have to figure it all out on your own, feel lost, or deprive yourself. And you don't have to fear the same cycle reappearing in your kids' future. Together, we're breaking the cycle, Mama. And I'm really excited to share that as of the 2021 new year, I'll have access to a beautiful new software to use with my coaching clients. I've been testing it and getting trained on it since July. Actually, a small group of us financial coaches have been working with the developers directly, letting them know about bugs, working through security issues, and testing different financial scenarios. It's been really cool. As of January 1st, 2021, I'll be able to start using this software with my clients, and I'm so excited because I have not seen any other software out there like this. It combines the power of programs you know, like Mint and YNAB, with future modeling and predictive technology, so you can actually really accurately predict when, down to your age and month, you'll be able to become financially free. That means you'll know when you can retire to a T based on your current financial income. And the best part, the date adjusts each month based on the decisions you make today. So as of the new year, we're going to be able to look at the big picture of your finances better and more clearly than I've ever been able to and see immediately how your future financial situation and retirement date is affected by the decisions you make with your money today. So let's pretend you're thinking about buying a new car and you're weighing your options. You might put down a large down payment or you might finance the whole thing. We can run different scenarios through this software and you can weigh and see out into the future how your decision adjusts when you'll be able to retire. And you can weigh your options, like if retiring two years later is worth getting that new car. Maybe a different scenario, like you want some really nice $500 shoes, but that also means you can't put $500 in savings this month. I know you can see the immediate effect that you can either deposit $500 in savings or you can buy the shoes. But what does that mean for you as a 60-year-old? That's pretty hard to see, right? But with this software, we will be able to see it. We will be able to see what $50 means 30 years from now. Y'all, I'm so excited because this software is already changing the way that I'm coaching and some of the things my coaching mamas and I are talking about. But here's the thing. 2021 can seriously be your year. When finances suck, they really suck. I know that. I've been through that. But this could be the year that you completely turn it around. And while we could have done that before, I now have this extra tool that I know you're going to love. And I know we will be able to make today's money decisions more important and more impactful to you. 
you'll be able to really see in the numbers and in the graph how today's choices really do affect your future. All that to say that I have two spots open to begin one-on-one coaching with me in January. We have fun, we make an impact, and set you up for success and confidence with your money. It's $500 to get started, and then just $125 per month after that, ongoing, as long as we work together. And here's the deal. Right now, when you sign up, 20%, so $100, goes straight to the charity of your choice. I invite you, Mama, let this be your Christmas present this year. Let yourself break those financial fear or money confusion or just feelings of being unsure. Let's ditch them for 2021 and arrange a donation to help others in need at the same time. Because seriously, this year, there are more people in need than I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. You're invited to book a free, quick little call with me. Let's see if we're a good fit. I know you can do this, and I know you have a bright financial future waiting. Don't miss this just because it's scary. I'm not scary, and I'll make money not scary either. Speaking of Christmas and all that, all I want for Christmas are podcast reviews. Recently, Keek again wrote, Personal, I love that Virginia has a story behind what she teaches. I can't wait to listen to more. How sweet. Good thing there's always more coming. And I actually have two really awesome interviews coming up later this month for you. So post your review, please, because I would love to read it on air next week. Thank you all for being here with me today. This week, edge a little closer to reaching abundance by taking a step back and looking big picture at your child's life and thinking, in what situations do they struggle? Are there triggers or signs that I can pick up on before the stuff hits the fan? Or which of these coping mechanisms can benefit us? I found it so interesting that as I was researching about the growth mindset and how to nurture that in children, all this stuff is the same stuff that we as adults need. Any list you look at, like, how can I be more peaceful? Or how can I cope better? Or how can I be happier? The lists are like affirmations, fresh air, breathing exercises, yoga, and mindset work. That's what we're doing here. We're giving our kids the tools that we had to wait and learn as adults after years of suffering and wondering what was wrong with us. We're teaching them as children so they can know and love themselves and thrive through situations that knocked you and I on our butts. The magnanimity of this is just awe-inspiring to me, and I am so excited to watch them grow and become and change the world. Meanwhile, the show notes are at reachingabundance.com. You can also find out more about my coaching services and book a call through the link there. Plus, there are links to our affiliate, FamZoo, and the free download of positive money mindset mantras I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Have a wonderful week, Mama. I look forward to talking with you again next time.